Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, November 13th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Guys, let's get into it. We got a we got a lot of news to catch up on uh, since yesterday was the water cooler. Uh, let's start off with a story that broke over the weekend, and that is that John Lasseter is looking for work, and uh, he may be taking one of our jobs on this podcast. Brad, what's going on here? <laughs> well, we're definitely not trying to hire John Lasseter. <laughs> that's that's for sure. Um, yeah, the, but... the offer is not out to John Lasseter. <laughs> it's um, it's been about a year. Since John Lasseter announced that he was going to be taking a leave of absence from Pixar Animation, and then after that, um, very shortly after that, was when the reports came out of some employees complaining of, quote, grabbing, kissing, and making comments about physical attributes of uh, female employees. So Lasseter eventually ended up um, stepping back from Pixar completely, and he's will no longer be affiliated with Disney or Pixar by the end of the year. However... It looks looks like since he will be soon be leaving that he's looking for, I guess, the next part of his career and a new job. And so 
Um, word on the street is apparently he took a meeting at WME Entertainment, uh, the, the talent agency, and I guess he t- uh, told you know the people there his side of the accusations and kind of outlined the hopes that he has for what he wants to do next. It's not really clear what that is. No specifics were provided, but uh, the website Cartoon Brew noticed that Laster had been uh, meeting with some people um, on certain animation projects. Nothing really uh, specific, but there are obviously some people who are still willing to work with him despite these allegations that came to light. Um, and apparently he uh, one specific thing that he had mentioned during this meeting was that he has an interest in podcasting, though not specifically what he would be podcasting about. One would assume it would be about the animation industry, maybe talking with some of the you know um, bigger names in animation or maybe some of the people who normally don't get the spotlight to talk about you know the medium or something like that. But if this is you know it's kind of a precarious situation because we have to you have to start, wondering you know when is it okay for somebody like this to enter back into the industry after you know kind of falling from grace like this if there even is a time you know when it should be allowed and obviously there are degrees of the the um serious nature as far as what he did you know obviously what john laster has been accused of is nowhere near also it's very tough because none of these accusations have been like public accusations this have been like you know things that have happened internally in the Disney company, right? Like the, the this story that I think ran uh, Wall Street Journal or one of the publications, like it didn't actually have any quotes from anybody that wanted to go on record. Um, right. But, but so, yeah, but so we can, have to be very careful but, in how we word this. I'm, I'm not saying he didn't do anything. I'm just no, saying that's, uh, that's, that's true. And the, the, I think the difference here is that even though there aren't quotes or anything like that, they, they, there are more than several accounts, you know, about this happening. And even though this isn't as severe as, you know, what Kevin Spacey did or even what Louis C.K. did, you know, this is this is still definitely a serious situation. And you kind of you have to be delicate about it. And it's I don't know, it's, it'll be, you know, interesting to see, I guess, what what it takes for someone like this to be able to come back and who wants to work with him and like what the, the terms are and just and that kind of thing. It's a it's a very precarious situation. It's very weird because John Laster was really, uh, you know, becoming basically the modern day Walt Disney. He was the head of, you know, Disney animation uh, for the Disney studios. And it's uh, now it's it's weird. He, he's looking for a job. Uh, if I was an animation company, I would be uh, very hesitant to to hire him but i mean what you pitched there the the podcast where he talks to people within the animation business like giving a spotlight on animators and the process of animation which i think is uh to the general public is really not like you know i think if you talk about to the general public about the process of filmmaking they probably have some idea of how the film like a live how a live action film is put together but in animation we even go to these studios and they like give us like you know these powerpoint presentations with video and stuff and it and i I still don't even think i know the exact uh workflow of like of a big pixar project so i i see that as a benefit to you know the consumers and film fanatics but i guess the question is is john laster the right person to be put in that kind of position and ben would you listen to a podcast with john laster no no i wouldn't uh, not at this point i mean I, I think the thing for me about laster and and a lot of these people um across the board who have who have uh, been accused of various levels of misconduct is i feel like there hasn't been enough of an attempt to 
um, make amends with the people that he actually harmed. Um, I feel like that kind of thing, which isn't going to be like a, or it shouldn't be like a public story. You know, that's, that should be one of those things where like, uh, the work is being put in by that person on their own time to, um, to try to make the situation as right as possible and like maybe go to some sort of a recovery institute, you know, like get, put yourself through some sort of therapy. Like you have to do the work, like make the, make the effort, take the steps to prove that, uh, that you are trying instead of just, um, you know, staying back and being quiet for a few months and then just being like, you know what, now I think I have earned the right to, uh, you know, uh, become a public figure again. It, it, I, I, I personally don't think that it should work that way. And I know that everybody has their own opinions about uh, how this kind of stuff should be handled moving forward and, and all of that. But that's that's sort of where I'm sitting right now. I would love to see anybody who's been accused of anything like that actually try to do some work to better themselves and and specifically make amends with the people that, uh, that they've um, impacted. Yeah. Um, we'll talk more about the, the the absence that John Lester has left later, but I I, I mentioned uh, I was at Disneyland a week ago and I I ate at uh, Pixar Pier. They have a Lamplight Lounge, which is like this restaurant, and there's this like one section of the restaurant that has this display that is like this uh display for a like a bunch of wines, and it's clear so clearly made to display the wines from John Lasseter's vineyards. He used to produce like a wine for each of the Pixar movies. And um, it, it's funny because like right now that, that display had been empty for a long time. And now it's just like, they just put random bottles of alcohol in it. And it's like, so like the bottles don't fit the, like the perfectly <laughs> molded things for the wines. And it's, it, it's just, it's kind of sad that, you know, Disney is erasing Lasseter from from the legacy of this company, but it, it's, uh, it's 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 understandable that they want to uh, distance themselves. Uh, but um, let's move on to uh, Paramount Ranch, which last week uh, was one of the victims of this horrible uh, these horrible fires in California. Ben, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Yeah, so Paramount Ranch was the filming location for almost 500 movies and TV shows over the years. Um, I guess before we even get to this, we should just say that obviously our, our thoughts and prayers and hearts and minds and everything <laughs> are, are with the the people who like the, the actual human beings who have suffered tremendous loss in all of these fires, which are all over California. I think there there are three really, uh, I mean, decent yeah. size ones still. Um, and and there, there, there's various... been de- dozens of deaths and uh, horrible yeah, losses. Like you see, like uh, even, you know, my, my feed is mostly like filmmakers and stuff and seeing like Scott Derrickson, his house like just burnt down and yeah. uh, just horrible. Yeah, there was a picture yesterday, I think, of Gerard Butler, who was standing in front of the the ashes of his home. And it, I mean, it's obviously not just people in like the Hollywood community as well. I mean, that that's like a lot of the Malibu area had been evacuated. And there are a ton of people up in Northern California who are suffering from the campfire, which is like the most destructive and deadly one in the state's history. So, I mean, this is a it's a bad time for people in California right now. Um, but uh, but yeah, just I mean, sort of like adjacent to that uh, movie related is the uh, the Paramount Ranch which was the 
uh, site for filming for projects like Westworld and Gunsmoke and Gunfight at the OK Corral and a ton of like classic old westerns and um, shows like uh, a Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman film there. Um, and yeah, this this entire area has burned uh, in the Santa Monica Mountains. I think I saw a tweet yesterday that said something like, I don't know, a, a huge percentage of the um, the national park lands in the Santa Monica Mountains has already uh, has, has gone up in smoke essentially. Um, which is, uh, obviously, yeah, really, really terrible. And, um, again, yeah, we're, we just, uh, we hope everybody is, is staying safe out there. I know it's, it's affecting a lot of people. I think even, uh, Jeff Kanata, the slash film cast is like pretty close to the fire. Yeah. So, um, yeah, our, our hearts are with them. Now I know, uh, you and your wife, Amy, like to go hiking and stuff. Uh, have you ever been to the Paramount Ranch? That area? I've, I've not. And I'm now obviously like really uh, upset with myself that I didn't go earlier. I, I think, uh, last year or maybe even earlier this year, I was doing some research into it and thinking that that would be a really cool place to go. Cause it was like open to the public. You could just go and, and walk around yeah. the old like Western towns and stuff that were there. Um, we've been hiking a lot in that area, but never, I've never been to Paramount Ranch specifically. So, um, yeah, this is uh it's man i mean yeah. <laughs> again it's like it's just a, a bunch of movie sets and it it pales in comparison <laughs> to like the actual human cost of what's going on but uh, it's still pretty sad from like a historical perspective yeah and uh C- california has a history of uh movie sets going on fire you know the original clock uh clock House square from back to the future has been replaced i think two times at this point uh from horrible fires um i have visited Paramount Ranch on a number of times. Uh, it was always a, a fun place to visit and bring family who are, you know, visiting town, family and friends visiting town. Uh, but it was kind of like uh, this uh, old Western town that was built many years ago. So it was kind of rickety and falling down. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that I'm hoping that some production goes to this location. Like if Westworld needs to return to the, you know that church in that area i hope that like some kind of production can go there and help with the rebuilding effort of uh of that of that area because it, w- it was a really cool area but yeah, yeah that would be really nice to see you know somebody like hbo put up the money to to reconstruct some of that stuff that would be a really cool move on their part and even like the i forgot to mention the the set of mash um the the classic tv show that was also in that area as well not not right at Paramount Ranch, but definitely in that area. And my wife and I had actually been to that one. And that one, uh, that set has just been sort of overtaken by the flames as well. So, um, yeah, a lot of, lot of there like abandoned vehicles and stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's move on, uh, to a stars born. Uh, you know, this is a huge hit and apparently an extended cut might be in the works. Brad, you're at the sub for the site. What do we know? Indeed. Uh, Star is Born, obviously the huge deal right now. It's going to be a major awards contender. It's got some pretty decent box office legs. Uh, critics and audiences are loving it. Um, and it sounds like there might be an extended cut coming our way at some point uh, if cinematographer Matthew Libatique is going uh, to be believed. He recently had an interview with our friends over at the film stage, and he had talked about how he had seen several different cuts of the movie while Bradley Cooper was working on it. He actually saw five different cuts of the movie before it ended up being finished. Um, and apparently, uh, after he discussed, you know, watching the evolution of the movie as it came together, he said, quote, I think they're actually doing a new cut, a director's cut, and putting some stuff back in. Uh, I think there's always concern about length, but for him, I think 
it was mostly the concern about what am I stepping outside the forward narrative of this love story and when am I stepping outside the area that you have one character ascending and another descending. I think that's all he was doing uh, when doing different cuts was trying to find that soul. So it sounds like there might be a different version of A Star is Born that puts more footage back into the movie, maybe help it fleshes out the characters uh, even more than what we saw in the movie. Um, the movie itself already clocks in at two hours and 15 minutes, and I I don't know. I, I feel like it might be interesting to see what, what was cut and see them put it back in there, especially if there's more extended music moments, um, which I would imagine would be, you know, uh, a, a, a large chunk of the footage that maybe got, got cut. I mean, judging um, by the soundtrack, there probably is, right? Yeah, exactly. So if, if, if that's what he's going to put back in there, I'd be very interested to see what it is. But, you know, two hours and 15 minutes is already a pretty long movie. Um, so I'm not sure how much he would uh, want to add in necessarily. And there's also no indication as to, like, First of all, there's no confirmation if this is happening, if uh, Matthew Libatique is, is right in um, that they're actually working on a director's cut of the movie. But there's also no indication as to when we might see it, if it'll be something that gets released in theaters at some point or if it'll just be something that is on the Blu-ray DVD release. You know, it's that that's remains to be uh, revealed. Yeah, th- this stuff is typically in the past been done to get people to double dip or buy the home video release. Um, although if this is an award contender, I can totally see them doing a theatrical release of this. I, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, I don't know, Ben, do you think, uh, would you go to see an extended cut of this in theaters? Um, I don't know. I really liked the movie, but I'm not sure. It's not necessarily a movie that, um, that for me would require a second viewing because I feel like the story is so simple. If it was something that was a little bit more like, uh, I don't know, labyrinthine where I was like, I, I felt like, you know, like inception or something where I feel like I needed to see it again to like fully grasp it, then sure. That, that would be a really cool opportunity to see it with some, you know, like icing on the cake. But um, I don't know. I, I like the music, but I feel like a lot of people will just listen to the soundtrack and as they have been since yeah. it, it came out. So I'm not sure if they would go back to if general audiences would go back and see it again just to have a couple of those scenes padded out. I don't know. What, what do you think, Peter? Would you see it again? Uh, I really like the first half of this movie. The second half, not so much. So if 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 this footage could improve the second half, it could if it could make it. Uh, I don't know more nuanced like the, the you know the first 30 minutes I feel like I, I would be down but I'm betting that's not the case although there, there are a lot of things in the second half as you know uh, Lady Gaga's character kind of becomes a star and there's you know things going on with her tour and her record and stuff and there's stuff that's like hinted at and I'm wondering like if there was more to that that was being shot because it almost feels like we're getting like little bits and pieces of things that like uh, subplots that didn't make it into the film of like how you know lady gaga is kind of her character is kind of changing herself or Mm -hmm. evolving um yeah so uh i i I don't know i might be interested i'd i'd probably wait till it's on home video to check it out and rent it um but let's move on from that to uh true crime uh which cbs all access is doing a new true crime show which will apparently let you view the case in a different way than any other true crime TV show has in the past. What do we know? 
Yeah, so uh, basically CBS All Access is creating a new show called Interrogation, and it is based on a true story that spanned more than three decades in which a young man was charged and convicted of brutally murdering his mother, and each episode is structured around an interrogation taken directly from the actual police case files. So the way that this is going to be different from a lot of other true crime stuff is that CBS All Access, which as a streaming service has up till this point, only released things, uh, original uh, content with like at the at the rate of one episode per week. They're actually going to release nine of the ten episodes, the first nine episodes, all at once, and let each individual viewer watch and and sort of explore this story at their own pace in the way that they want to. So you can sort of bounce around uh, based on your own interests or theories or what have you from this story and and watch each individual episode. Um, you know, in whatever order you want. And they're holding the finale until a later date. And I, I assume that's going to be the one that sort of answers all the questions and wraps things up. But they're giving you the opportunity to explore this and try to come to your own conclusion uh, before they they actually spill the beans on, you know, the, the final real uh, conclusion of this case. I think this could actually be pretty cool. Like, I feel like... Um, you know, if you had a pilot episode or the first episode that kind of sets up, you know, the suspects and whatever, and then the other episodes are like, you know, this one's about this guy, the, you know, this one going down this avenue. And like you could kind of like a detective, you know, choose which avenues you're taking go- going through the case. I think that could be quite compelling. Ben, I know you're a big fan of the true crime uh you know, uh, genre. genre yeah. yeah. Uh, is this something that would appeal to you? So the way what you just described is essentially the Steven Soderbergh project mosaic <laughs> that came out. Uh, I think it was very late last year or early this year. I'll have to check on that. But um, it, it was like an it started as an app and it was it, it did exactly what you just said. It, it basically started you off with uh, a first episode that sort of laid the groundwork and then gave people the option of like branching narratives and and how to explore the story from there. And I just never got around to doing that, even though the the concept does sound really interesting and compelling to me. I just didn't find the time to do it. And I think later, if people were like, wait a second, I recognize this. It's because HBO cut all of the uh, episodes into one linear thing and then released that on HBO. So maybe people have seen that and didn't get a chance to sort of play around with the storyline in the in the app as it was originally intended. But um, so I, I don't know. Th- this one sounds like it's going to be a complete free for all. It's not it sounds like it's not even going to put that first episode like make you watch the first episode first. It sounds like you could just jump in at episode five and try to figure out what the hell is going on. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like you would probably need some sort of groundwork to get started and like establish the base facts of what's going on but uh yeah I'm, I'm also intrigued by this that is so weird like I, I i do like the idea i'm not sure if it would be a good idea but i like the in concept the idea that there could be a series that i watch in netflix and you watch on netflix and brad watches on netflix and we're watching it all in a different order um now i guess that probably would only work maybe with like an anthology series like Black Mirror, but maybe there's a way of doing that so it would work. But I don't know. The, the other side of me that, you know, uh, studied screenwriting and all that, like, knows the, the escalation of plots and stuff. And I, I feel like that probably 
would not work that well. But... <laughs> well, it's worth mentioning that this show, which is again called Interrogation, is going to be on CBS All Access, and Netflix actually, as I mentioned in this article, is planning to create shows that use that choose-your-own-adventure yeah. storytelling model for adults. So we haven't seen any of those yet, but we do know that an upcoming episode of Black Mirror is going to be one of those things. And then also, I think it's 20th Century Fox that's developing a choose-your-own-adventure movie that is in the works right now, too. So uh, it, it sort of remains to be seen how this is going to catch on in a larger way, but it seems like the that choose-your-own-adventure storytelling style is starting to uh, you know slowly eke its way into pop culture. I'm very interested in this. Okay, let's talk about Roma. We, we've talked in the past on this podcast of how Alfonso Cuaron's next movie is going to hit theaters, but apparently it's not going to be in Elmo Drafthouse theaters uh, due to Netflix's strict specifications. Brad, you wrote about this for the site. What do we know? Indeed. Uh, so Roma is a Netflix movie, so obviously it'll be hitting the streaming service um, in December. But before that, it's going to be playing in limited theaters uh, around the country starting on November 21st. However, the locations will um, will be a little bit um, harder to get to, only really in major markets, simply because Netflix isn't doing like this big wide release, and most of the larger theater chains aren't willing to play ball with Netflix because of the window between hitting theaters and arriving in the Netflix library. So Netflix has been trying to strike deals with a lot of the independently owned theater chains outside of AMC and Real and Cinemark, but apparently they hit a little bit of a snag with Alamo Drafthouse, which is one of the favorite theater chains among cinephiles, and it's mostly because the things that they were asking for, Alamo just didn't feel like they could easily adhere to. Um, apparently, uh, not only is Netflix wanting the, the, the movie to play in 70mm, um, during the entire run in the theater, if possible, but they're trying to four-wall the theaters, which means that uh, Netflix is basically renting the entire theater out, and they'll be taking all the money from the ticket sales for themselves, as opposed to splitting the ticket costs with the theaters, which is normally what happens when a movie is distributed and sent out to theaters. And Drafthouse doesn't do that with any of their theaters. Um, and the other the other thing, specifically with this Alamo Drafthouse location, when they wanted to show it in Brooklyn is they wanted Roma to play in their largest auditorium, which is where they can project in 70mm for four straight weeks, which meant no other movies would be allowed to play in that theater. And since that's their biggest auditorium, and this is during the prime holiday season when families are going out to the movies all the time, that's kind of a big ass to put a uh, an awards-driven um, drama that really isn't necessarily a... Uh, it's a high-profile movie in, in our world, but isn't something that's going to draw in, you know, families as much as a, a holiday blockbuster or something like that. So you're, you're going to be losing money out in that way, especially when it's a movie that's coming out in Netflix in, you know, less than a month. So Drafthouse just couldn't work out a deal with uh, with Netflix. And so they just declined to be able to show it. So now in New York, it'll be playing at the IFC Center in Manhattan instead. But if, if Netflix was four walling. The, you know, this Elmo Drafthouse Theater, then that means they are basically buying out that theater for those four weeks. So I, I don't understand why the Elmo Drafthouse would be upset about that, because that's almost like guaranteeing that you have a sold out theater for four weeks. I don't know. I would imagine there's probably more complications to the yeah. to the deal than, uh, than that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. What do, you, what do you think? Do you think Netflix is being too picky? Um, I mean, yes and no. Like, obviously, you want the movie to play in the in the way that you want it to play. That's, that's their decision. But like, 
you know, when they're only going to be doing this for a short period of time and it's already playing in limited locations, like you would think that you would want it to be as easy as possible for people to be able to see this movie, you know, and not create problems with the theater chains when they already have too many problems with theater chains who don't want to work with them anyway. Yeah, I, I I feel I know a lot of people are jumping on this and getting on Netflix's back over this, but my feeling is that it's probably in the contract. Alfonso Cuaron probably wanted you know a certain amount of seventy millimeter uh, you know presentations over four weeks and what and you know Netflix is just trying to satisfy this deal in a way that will work for them. Um, well, what's weird is that. Uh, it's now that it's playing at the IFC Center in Manhattan instead of this Alamo Drafthouse location in Brooklyn. It's not playing in seventy millimeter yeah. at IFC Center, so I don't know what the what the deal is there. Yeah, um, interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on this as Netflix uh, decides or des- decides not to do more uh, theatrical releases in the future. Uh, I don't know. I'd be very interested to see if Netflix actually just starts buying a theater chain. Because I feel like that that would be in their interest, and uh, they've, they've talked about it before. Yeah. We did a we did a whole thing on it, and like and they were looking into it, but nothing's come of it yet. Yeah, it would be very cool if our Netflix subscription could, you know, get us into you know could act as like kind of a movie pass or AMC A list. But um, let's move on uh, very briefly to the Mandalorian. We got a bunch of casting news and rumors. Brad, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Well, today we got confirmation that Pedro Pascal, uh, who starred in Kingsman, The Golden Circle, and also um, is in a uh, unique indie sci-fi movie called Prospect, is indeed the star of The Mandalorian. He'll be playing the uh, lone gunfighter that is described in the official synopsis, um, and so he he will be donning some of that cool Boba Fett-style armor, but that's pretty much all we know about his character so far. We don't have uh, many details at all about the Mandalorian as far as uh, specifics of the story. All we know is that it takes takes place far away from uh, the authority of the New Republic. So we're probably looking at more of the, the, the seedy, darker side of the Star Wars galaxy. Um, and that's, you know, it'll be interesting to see. And it, it goes to show you that, you know, Lucasfilm is really leaning towards uh, having a more diverse cast. Uh, you know, th- this comes on the heels of, hearing that Diego Luna will be leading that uh, other Star Wars series that will feature Cassie and Andor from Rogue One. Um, so they're uh, clearly trying to expand the, the um, roster they have as far as, you know, especially when it comes to bringing in Hispanic talent to lead their shows. Yeah. And then um, on a, the rumor side of things, there's a chance that Carl Weathers, um, Apollo Creed from the Rocky franchise, might have some kind of role in The Mandalorian. Uh, this is a rumor that comes from Making Star Wars, and they were the ones who actually heard about Pedro Pascal being considered for a role in The Mandalorian to begin with. So there's, there's a decent chance this could turn out to be true, because their sources have proved to be pretty reliable. Unfortunately, uh, because everything about The Mandalorian is such, so tight under wraps, we have no idea what kind of character he could be playing or anything like that. Um, he's uh, he's definitely up there in the years, so a live-action character um, seems slightly out of question simply because he's not much of an action star anymore, but that doesn't mean that there aren't characters that he could play as a uh, live action, especially if, you know, they do maybe a riff on like him being some kind of aged mercenary, uh, maybe as a nod to his role in predator or something like that. But, uh, Carl Weathers also has a history of doing, uh, some voice work too. You know, he, uh, has a voice on the Disney XD series star versus the forces of evil. 
Um, he did had a, a voice role in Toy Story of Terror. So maybe there's a chance he'll end up voicing some kind of alien character or a droid or something like that. Um, he would even make a cool, you know, villain, somebody who maybe is like a, an, an overseer of and lets other people do do his bidding. Something like that would be cool, too. Um, but again, this is all speculation because everything about The Mandalorian is being very secretive right now. And we're just waiting to hear more officially from Disney and Lucasfilm to find out more about it. I just think it's crazy that we're, you know, probably over a month into production and we only know for sure confirmed one of the actors in the show. And I've heard that, like, you know, this show isn't just like unknown actors. It's, you know, people names we know. So uh, it's crazy. I like uh, Pedro Pascal from the the show Narcos. Uh, was he also in Game of Thrones? He was. Yes, yes he yeah. was. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so anyways, let, let's move on to some trailer reactions because we had some big trailers hit this week. Let's start first with Toy Story 4. We've gotten two teaser trailers thus far. One of them introduced uh, this new uh, character that's made from a plastic spork. And the next one introduced uh, a duck and a bunny played by Key and Peele. Uh I'm I'm curious what you guys think of this. Let's start with uh, Ben. Uh, I was not really a fan of the uh, the first teaser that introduced us to what is it? Forky, I think is that character's name. It, uh, it should I, be Sporky because he really is a spork, right? Yeah, I think that's. Let me let me look this look this up and make sure this is right. Uh, yeah, I it's think, Forky. It is Forky. Okay. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. I'm, I mean, already they're they've got a, a strike against them in the name category there. But um, I just feel like it's not a very good teaser. The the teaser with that introduced Ducky and Bunny, the Key and Peele characters, was a lot more um, fun, and it seemed like an actual teaser to me. It was like it's these characters basically doing riffs on their Key and Peele sketches that they've done before, uh, but as these new characters at a, a carnival, and then Woody and Buzz roll up, and uh, they they mess with them about the uh, to infinity and beyond catchphrase. And it's really entertaining, and it's great to hear those guys together again and, and riffing like they did back in the days of Key and Peele. I love that show. And... Um, I, I am excited to see how those characters are incorporated into this action. I think that's the thing that gets me, that has me the most excited about Toy Story 4 at this point. And that spork, forky thing, I could take it or leave it. Uh, even though Tony Hale is providing, from Veep and Arrested Development, is providing the voice of that character, just the the introduction in that teaser uh, did absolutely nothing for me. But um, Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm kind of in the same arena that you are. Uh, I love the one with Key and Peele, and then I'm just I don't know I, I just don't know what to expect with Toy Story Four and with this character. I I can see how having a character like this who isn't explicitly a toy but is treated like a toy, and like maybe there's some kind of significant you know meaning or theme behind like you know having sort of an identity crisis or you know kind of choosing what you, to be what you want to be. Uh, and like that, that kind of thing, you know, maybe will be something that comes through for as the message for uh, for kids in this movie. But I don't, I don't know. It's like I I need a lot of convincing to get excited about Toy Story four simply because Toy Story three was such a wonderful, you know, cap on what what would have been the Toy Story trilogy. And I it's going to take a lot for me to really think that this is something that's necessary. And the only thing I think that has me intrigued so far is that 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 first poster of uh woody that teaser poster um 
made me made it feel like maybe this could be you know Woody's last ride, so to speak. Uh, maybe like they'll send send him off in even some more grand way. I guess I I, I don't know, but it's uh, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued, but not necessarily excited yet. Well, guys, you, you can't uh, underestimate Pixar, especially when it comes to sequels for Toy Story movies, <laughs> because they they've you know both times they've gone at bat, they've you know grand slammed it in my opinion, and um, that said. Watching these two teaser trailers, I'm a little bit worried. Uh, not that I don't like Forky. I think that character could be interesting in the ways that uh, Brad kind of hinted at. Uh, Keen Peel's characters, and I love Keen Peel, but you could have told me that this was a teaser trailer for a uh, Secret Life of Pets 2 movie, and like I would have believed you. Like These characters feel... Like something from Illumination Entertainment. Maybe it's because they're more abrasive than we're used to in this Toy Story world. Maybe it's because the the comedy feels more contemporary and not classical as most of the you know comedy that takes place in the Toy Story world. But something seems odd off to me. And the the other weird thing is we've been hearing for a long time that the this story is about is a love story. Uh, between uh, uh, Bo Peep and Woody, that that is the core of the movie, that John Laster, when he was developing it, it was, you know, a love song to his wife, Nancy, which, you know, now makes us feel all icky. But uh, it's weird because now these trailers come out, the the trailers uh, paint a different uh, uh, vision for this movie. And also... There is this plot synopsis that basically says when Bonnie adds a reluctant new toy called Forky to her room, a road trip adventure alongside old and new friends will show Woody how big the world can be for a toy. That doesn't sound like a love story, but maybe they're hiding that aspect of it. Maybe they're downplaying it because of uh, the the Laster issues that we we talked about earlier what do you guys think do you think like you know with with these pixar movies there's sometimes that they are completely reinvented like three or four times within the the production of this movie and when josh cooley came on board he's the guy that did the inside out short riley's first date um maybe this thing got completely reworked or do you think like they're just hiding that thing because they don't want people talking about uh lassiter Hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they minimized those aspects, that that romance aspect in the final movie because of that. Um, but I, I don't know. I wonder if they were like too far along in production when the last news came out for them to scrap that completely uh, and still hit the release date, which is what next year, uh, June of 2019. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, it seems like it seems like if they had to scrap it in. Um, let's say late 2017 and completely remake the movie from the ground up. I don't know if even with as great as Pixar is, I don't even know if two years is enough time for them to do that. They've done stuff in less. Uh, I'm also curious with you, Ben, because I I mentioned that this feels that second trailer, which you actually liked, felt more like an Illumination Entertainment movie. And I know that you really did not like The Secret Life of Pets. That is correct. Uh, Am I wrong on this? (sighs) Um, I see where you're coming from. Uh, You might be right. Um, But for me, I just I guess I like those guys a lot. And I like the idea of of 
you know, because the first three Toy Story movies were so good, and and especially, as Brad mentioned, that third one sort of tied things off so perfectly, I think you have to do something different to sort of justify coming back to this well again. And if that means, um, you know, adding a little bit more of a contemporary style of humor into the mix to differentiate it from uh previous entries like who knows this could be this might not be the the very last one this could be the start of a new trilogy or something we don't we don't know exactly what they have planned so uh i I don't know i i i'm i'm trying to go over in my mind (laughs) and think about all of the comedy in the first three movies in you know 30 seconds and try to think of off the top of my head there's anything like this uh, in there, and I. Kinda, the only thing I'm, that I'm, I can think I can think of off the top of my head is there's, there's like a Jurassic Park joke that feels like kind of contemporary for too contemporary for the movie. I don't know, Brad. I mean, what about you? I think, I think that if you go back and look at the first movie, especially, there's plenty of contemporary comedy, especially when it comes to the rivalry between Buzz and Woody. Like you know, because Woody's kind of a dick in the first movie. Um, you know, and he was, he was even more of a jerk before they like toned it down and made him a little bit more likable. Um, you know, and you've got, you've got Don Rickles as Mr. Potato Head, who's always insulting people and that kind of thing. I I think there's plenty of contemporary comedy. Um, you know, it's, I think it's great to, you know, have these, you know, characters like this mixing it up a little bit. Um, we, we haven't had characters like this and I think that's something that, you know, is actually exciting and interesting so that we're not getting, you know, the, the same old stuff. I, I, I feel like the quality here is not along the lines uh, to to warrant um, the comparison to Secret Life of Pets or anything that Illumination does. Because <laughs> stuff that Illumination hey, does... The, the, to be fair, the Secret Life of Pets teaser trailer was amazing. I, I haven't watched it yet because I... No, I, I mean I, the, the for the first movie. Oh, I, I actually thought the one for the second one was okay. Like, that yeah, one, for, to me, was better than the first one. But, um, oh, really? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I, I actually, don't know. I actually... Yeah, I, I don't get the love for that that trailer because to me it was just hey let's do let's take all of the things that people laugh at in youtube videos featuring pets and just animate it <sighs> like there's, like there's not there's nothing there was nothing unique about it and the and the movie didn't do anything to change my mind so uh but i i think that the comedy here is much more um uh what's the word i'm looking for it's uh, it, it fits. I think I'm right there with you, Brad. I think I think I'm leaning more toward Brad on this one, Peter. And I I know that you I think the idea of like contemporary comedy is something that you've had an issue with in previous movies too. I remember that was like one of your Star chief Wars. complaints about no, yeah, well, the Last I, Jedi. I I do not have a problem with contemporary comedy. Well, I just, just feel like when you establish into certain things, yeah, when you establish a a world in the franchise, I feel like there should be. Just as there is kind of like a style for that world and there is like, you know, the character – like there's kind of like a style guide for everything. There should be a style guide for the comedy. I feel like in tone and I feel like in Star Wars there was a little weirdness with the comedy. I feel – I don't know. I, I, I'm judging way too much from the teaser trailer here and we – Which, pro- by the way, will probably not even be in the movie. Oh, yeah. I think, I think that's the other thing even. too is it, it just like, you know, it's set to introduce these characters. I feel like it does a good job of that and so, you know, who knows how they're actually going to be incorporated into the movie itself and what those specific yeah. jokes are going to be but I think for what this is, I, I was pleased with it. I hate to prolong this because we're already going way over but I, I do have a question to you because when this trailer yesterday came out with, with uh, Forky – there was a lot of negative buzz on Twitter, and I'm kind of wondering: Do you think that's because people don't like 
this character or do you think it's because people don't like these like teaser trailers that we used to grow up on that didn't really reveal much of the thing it was kind of more of what what it is a tease hmm brad do you have any thoughts about that uh you know i don't know i thought that was an interesting question when you posed it and i do wonder if maybe people just expect to get more from a trailer nowadays than being teased from it simply because they know a project already exists, so a tease just doesn't feel as satisfying. Whereas sometimes when a teaser trailer would arrive, we didn't necessarily know the kind of things that we do know now, thanks to the internet being around. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Maybe if if the patience has worn thin for teaser trailers, or if maybe this particular teaser trailer just just didn't really, you know, hit well with the audience. That's. I don't know. I'm right. not sure. Well, I'm a fan of teaser trailers, so I hope I hope they don't go away. But it's it's it seems to me that Hollywood has tested them and uh, has kind of decided that audiences don't you know they want to be sold from minute one. So, um, anyways, we have one more trailer to talk about. Uh, let's talk about it quickly. Detective Pikachu. Uh, this is a movie you know based in the Pokemon series of games and um a tv show uh, and i think when this was announced everybody was kind of making fun of it like you know why not make the pokemon go movie why make detective pikachu but then this trailer came out and i think won over the entire internet uh brad what are your thoughts on this i think it looks interesting uh and this is coming from somebody who didn't grow up playing pokemon uh, doesn't really care much about the games. I do play Pokemon Go, but mostly just because I kind of I just like the idea of you know a game that was like forced you to walk around real locations and and that kind of thing. And it was it was kind of something to do, and it was, it was it's fun to just play on your phone when you're out and about. But I by no means have like an extended interest in Pokemon beyond that. What I know about Pokemon, I've learned either from my cousin who grew up on it or from playing Pokemon Go. Um, but I don't know. There's something that's kind of charming and interesting about this movie it it feels like the kind of like fantasy adventure movies that you used to have uh in the in the 80s with kids but just with the contemporary comedy that peter probably doesn't like um (laughs) hey i like contemporary comedy (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah i don't know the only thing is is that uh it's 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 very odd to hear ryan reynolds voice coming out of pikachu's body and the as cool as it is to see a somewhat photorealistic recreation of what the Pokemon look like in the real world. It's also kind of jarring. Um, so I, I don't know. It's I, I'm I'm intrigued, but also kind of weirded out. I don't know. Pikachu looks so fluffy, and I want I want to I want to have a Pikachu after seeing this trailer. I'm sure uh, you'll the get other, one. Yeah, the other Pokemon look a little weird. Uh, ben, what are your thoughts on this? I also didn't grow up. I feel like I was just a little bit like a year or two too old for the Pokemon craze when that happened. So uh, a lot of people around me were sucked into that world. And I just never I've never played any of the games. I've never seen any of the movies or anything. I I don't know really anything about it. So, um, uh, you know, coming into this completely fresh, I'm sort of baffled by it, I think. Uh, But at the same time, I I see the bones of like an entertaining movie here. I, I think it it does seem weird. We were talking about it like, you know, this has been a worldwide phenomenon for 20 years or more than that. And this is the first movie that they make is a Detective Pikachu movie. It's like really strange from a 
a business and creative standpoint, yeah. I think. Um, and, and just like a, a weird Hollywood anomaly, I think like this, but I agree. Like the, the character designs all seem kind of cool. And I, I imagine if I grew up with any relationship at all to these characters, I would be like losing my mind. Like this looks, I mean, I, I, I would think that seeing, you know, a Charizard or whatever, I, I would be kind of excited and interested to see how that character would be translated to the screen. So, um, yeah, just on an aesthetic level, I kind of like the look of it. It's it's like these characters, it's like Rocket Raccoon walking around in Blade Runner or something. Um, so, or, or maybe like a, maybe like Winnie the Pooh or something like a, a softer, uh, cuddlier creature walking around in a, in a sci-fi looking world like that. So um, what do you think, Peter? Uh, I, I mean, basically, you guys have said what I think. I, I'm also someone that didn't grow up with Pokemon. We should have had HD on here because our, our uh, trademark millennial <laughs> of the Slash Film staff. Uh, it, it, she wrote up actually this great piece uh, looking at every Pokemon in this trailer because there's a, there's a ton. Um, and I'll link that in the show notes. Um, but I don't know. I'm very intrigued by this. I've, I've actually talked to some people who saw a test screening of this and they say it was actually a lot of fun and they uh they said it was the best video game movie ever which it isn't you know high praise <laughs> it really hasn't been a great video game movie but uh who would have thought that D- detective pikachu might be worthy of that honor um i'm curious to see it when it when it comes out uh but we we have gone way over our our time slot for today so i'm just going to end it here uh you can find more of all the stories we've talked about on today's podcast on slashfilm.com and linked in the show notes this podcast is slashfilm daily is published every weekday on itunes google play overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at slashfilm.com. And please go to our iTunes page, give us a five-star review, write us, you know, a couple sentences of why you love this podcast. That would help us quite a bit. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.